Welcome to the J. Kim Show, Hong Kong's first dedicated podcast on investing in Asia. It's no secret that Asia is home to some of the most dynamic, innovative, and game-changing companies in the world. Join us as we survey the land to find the most profitable investment opportunities that will allow you to capitalize off this next wave of wealth creation. If this is your first time listening, thank you for stopping by. This podcast is produced with the goal of providing actionable insights with every single episode. And now, on to the show. Hey, Max. Thanks so much for joining us. We're uh, excited to have you on, and you bring a, a pretty unique background and uh, a niche that I'm excited to speak to you about. So thanks for your time. Of course. Thank you for having me. Absolutely. So maybe you could, uh, for the audience watching and tuning in from around the world, you can give a little bit of background on yourself and uh, what you do for a living. Yeah, great. So I am the co-founder and principal at Bold Capital Partners. Uh, we are a Los Angeles and San Francisco-based fund. Uh, I currently am in Los Angeles today. Um, I've personally been investing in startups for the last six years. I've probably made um, close to 50 investments so far in um, traditionally seed Series A, Series B companies. Um, this is the third firm now that I've been with. I, I helped establish the two. I wouldn't consider myself uh, a co-founder of either, um, but worked intimately with both funds. Uh, and um, as of about two, two and a half years ago, got Bold Capital started as a, as a co-founder. Um, I'm a double major in finance and psychology, which I think helps shape the way I invest. Uh, fairly unique this day and age. Most people are, are very heavily uh, in the technical uh, backgrounds, but um, as I tell you more about my, my thesis on uh, the world, you'll, you'll kind of see how uh, those two play a role. I think, uh, actually, you know, funnily enough, um, thinking back about my own uh, academic career, I think that if I had to do it again, I think there would be some sort of element of psychology that I would uh, study because, you know, investing, whether you're whatever stage you're at, um, early stage or even late stage, you know, public markets, it's majority of it is psychology, you know, and I think that's it's, it's, it's very powerful to have that sort of background. I wish I had a better background on it because uh, I've catch myself making a lot of mistakes and trying to analyze human behavior because that's basically what the markets are all about. So, um, so you personally are uh, an angel investor, I guess, um, and have done a lot of investment. Uh, I have been an angel investor before, correct? Um, Bold Capital is actually a, uh, a legitimate $115 million early stage venture fund with limited partners that have invested in, in the fund for a set period of time. Um, these are people that uh, have done angel investing on their own, sometimes still do, but use our vehicle uh, as a way to kind of round out their angel investment activities. A lot of the times we have um, high net worth individuals that will invest a minimum amount with us and, uh, and have co-investment rights into deals that they wouldn't be able to get into without kind of the, the bold capital brand behind them. So I've done a lot of angel investing with bold capital is a, a pure venture fund. Um, so that's kind of the perspective I'll be coming from. Right. It can be applied to angel investors. And I have a whole section uh, uh, coming up if, if we want to talk about my thoughts on angel investing, but um, <laughs> it's, difficult. it's difficult to say the least. Sure, sure, absolutely. Well, I mean, uh, obviously, bold bold capital is is uh, is 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 more of an established, uh, very very established uh, venture capital firm. 
the, the reason I was actually asking about your prior experiences, because uh, like you just said, angel investing is extremely difficult. I've, I think a lot of people now have, have dabbled in it. Uh, I have certainly dabbled in it. Um, you know, there's, it's, it's, uh, it's probably one of the most challenging aspects. And when, what I quickly realized was uh, I didn't know anything about angel investing. It's extremely sexy and, and interesting when you dive in and you can go around and it's, it makes for great bar conversation. You know, oh yeah, I'm an angel investor and blah, blah, blah. But then when you quickly realize that you really don't know what you're doing, uh, educate, the learning curve is very steep. And so it's important to, I found, just take a step back and give my money to professionals like yourself uh, that actually know what they're doing and have the resources and access to, 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 to make educated decisions. So um, uh, let, let's, talk about, let's talk about Bold then. Um, because, uh, Hold on for a, section, a second because I have a whole, a whole section on that. And don't beat yourself up too much, okay? Um, <laughs> even the, the greatest, uh, you know, the smartest people out there, the, the ones that know, you know, everything there is about due diligence practices and all of that, um, that are angel investors still lose their money. And frankly, it's because you got to look at it from the other perspective. If I'm an entrepreneur and I want to have the greatest number, dealing with investors is hard. And when you're dealing with angel investors that do want to talk about this at cocktail parties, I like to call that high profile versus high quality deals. Um, you're, it's, it adds more to your plate. And a lot of the times those guys or, or girls go on vacation for long periods of time and they're hard to reach and they're hard to, you know, really move quickly, even though their decision might've taken a week or a day on the spot compared to a VC fund that might take six to eight weeks. Um, it's a different value proposition as a, an established institutional venture capital fund um, that an angel can never really provide uh, is one. And two, the deal flow that you get is just by definition, not going to be as great. Um, so don't beat yourself up. Uh, but there's a lot of things um, working against angel investors. Now that's not to say that angel investors, you, you invest for two reasons. One, to make money. Um, that's the first and foremost. I guess there are three reasons. To make money, to make a lot of money, and then to, uh, and then to do it for emotional reasons. If you're an angel investor, you get to take more liberty in what those emotional reasons are. And maybe you want to support a cause or see a problem get solved in the world. Um, so there is a place, time and place for angel investing. It's basically Vegas. Um, so if you, uh, if you are interested in that, but, but have a lower risk tolerance, I would uh, take your advice um, and, and let professionals handle the money. I think, uh, yeah, one of the early pieces, pieces of advice that I heard when I, I started angel investing was essentially uh, it's difficult because when you're that early in, on the sort of company growth curve, uh, it's hard not to just have these sort of moonshot visions of, oh, I can see this and extrapolate out earnings and all this sort of thing or, or potential growth. It's usually growth at that point. There's not even earnings. Um, but the problem is when you look at a company at the early stage versus, say, uh, a public company, um, it, it's hard to view it as – you basically have to view it as a what could go wrong uh, before what could go right, uh, which is kind of opposite of what most people, you know, they, they like to think about the potential, but they don't think about the fact that, you know, 99 of the 100 companies will probably fail. So it's really hard being an entrepreneur that's also an investor because being an entrepreneur, by definition, you're overly optimistic. Right. And by being an investor, you're, you need to be 
overly pessimistic. So um, it, it is definitely a difficult mix to have. Yeah, absolutely. Okay, um, well, so given your background, and then uh, let's talk about Bold. You, you obviously had a few funds, uh, different ventures that you've been involved in. Uh, Bold is obviously, uh, you know, what you're working on right now and what you're most excited about. So let's talk about that. How did you get involved? How did you come up with the idea to launch it? Um, obviously, you have a hugely high-profile name, uh, Peter Diamandis, who's one of your partners. Uh, you know, how did that all come about? And uh, and to, to give us a rundown on, on Bold Capital. Yeah, great. So um, Bold Capital, uh, I think, is best. The, the, the creation of Bold Capital is maybe best um, started uh, with stepping back a little bit and also telling a little bit more about my history. Um, I'm glad most people know Peter Diamandis' name. Uh, he's obviously the founder of the XPRIZE. Uh, what's most relevant is he's also the co-founder of Singularity University, which is actually a partner with us in Bold Capital as well. Um, so uh, between Peter and SU, we actually uh, have established this fund on top of this you know, 5,000 plus person network. Uh, that the two of those two entities bring. Uh, and we're an early stage fund, 110 million, like I said. Um, and this is our first fund out of Bold Capital. Uh, been around for about two years, have made close to, I think it's 19, maybe going on 20 investments. Um, we're a fairly broad fund. We, have an, we invest in areas such as healthcare, security, autonomous vehicles, communications, AR, VR, ag tech, synthetic biology. Um, and our... And, and that's what we like to call something called exponential technology. And I'll get to that a little bit later. So our thesis is where we invest in companies that are solving a solution to a global and important problem while utilizing these exponential technologies. So we might be invested in an agriculture company that's using synthetic biology uh, to recreate the way that biopesticides bio get delivered. Uh, at the same time, we might be investing in um, a 500-pound payload drone. Um, so we are a broad fund, but we believe that this thesis um, of being able to, to solve big problems utilizing exponential technologies uh, can't be contained and is going to be constantly evolving. So that's kind of the the reason we are um, partnered with Singularity University, and, and I'll tell you about the Peter story in a little bit, um, but they have, I think, if not the best, one of the best networks in the world with this sort of theory on technology being able to solve these big problems. I think you pair that with Asia, which has the largest market and a lot of problems that need to get solved uh, and are looking for outside innovation. It makes for a great um, place for Bold to start um, or, or we have already been looking a lot uh, closer into. So um, I think it's a great, uh, great match that we have today and I'm excited to, to tell you more. But let me go back to your question on, um, on the found, founding of Bold Capital and how we got Peter involved. Uh, and actually it relates to angel investing. So um, I met Peter about eight years ago working on my own startup, um, eight, nine years ago now working on my own startup. And uh, through that got a little bit involved with the X Prize, um, found my way kind of immediately after that into venture capital. Um, really was focusing on on if you know I'm going to get involved in a, a venture fund. I don't want to go to a new fund. I want to start a new fund that's built for the twenty. You know that was uh, 20, 2012 at that time, twenty thirteen, something like that. And um, and you know 
let's just say the the tone of conversation was changing from Twitter dominating the headlines to all these really amazing technologies starting to happen. Uh, and so I reconnected with Peter and Singularity University uh, about four years ago um, through a, a mutual a friend that had been working at uh, with Peter directly and said, you should come take a look at what we're doing. And my first conversation with him was we need to start a venture fund around you and Singularity University. Um, you guys have the network, like I was talking about from angel investing, network is everything. You guys are going to get incredible deal flow. Your branding is huge. Um, and laid out all, all the points that I thought were valid. Um, so he said, all right, why don't you go ahead and work for me, prove yourself for a little bit. So I managed his angel investments for about a year. Oh, wow. uh, yeah. And so kind of co-invested with him in a, in a number of things. And, um, you know, that's where we really cut our teeth learning. <laughs> Let's not waste our money at the angel stage. Um, Peter has the good fortune of being uh, perceived with this value that he can come on as an advisor to a lot of companies. So I kind of transitioned from investing capital to investing for sweat equity right. um, and really realized we needed to get this fund started earlier uh, than expected. So um, worked with him for two years, kind of mobilizing the network that, that we will then kind of eventually build bold upon uh, and realize we're missing an incredible management team. And um, we've got the front of the funnel, right? We've got an incredible deal flow, but going back to the conversation on managing optimism versus pessimism, Peter is one of the most optimistic people in the world. <laughs> bold or abundance, and, and, you'll, and you'll see that uh, overwhelmingly. So we had to balance that out with, with a set management team that's been investing for 30, 30 plus years together um, in, in one way or another. So uh, found them about two and a half years ago, um, spent a little bit of time making sure we, we liked each other. There was a lot of strong mutual connections. It was just perfect timing and, and fate. And, um, and for first fund, went out to raise about a hundred million bucks, was able to go past that, which we were really excited about. Got some really, um, exciting investors while well, we have a number of individual investors and, and, and high net worth families and, and stuff like that. Uh, we were really focused on corporations and, um, and other value add investors from around the world. Um, we wanted to create this global platform where uh, our thesis is to take solutions to problems that are working, that are, that are solving problems in the U S uh, and take them abroad um, where the markets might be bigger or the need might be stronger um, and so we've partnered with a number of amazing LPs, of which we've got uh, several in, in China, uh, Japan, and Singapore uh, right now. So um, I've been kind of working with them on bringing some of our, our companies and technologies and innovations uh, to the, the Asian countries and, and Asian markets with their help. So that's where I think a lot of the background on, on my information on investing in Asia has come from, a little bit about uh, bold capital, uh, and then how we got bold kind of going and the collaboration of, of Peter and Singularity and this great management team. That's a great overview. Uh, thanks for that, Max. And maybe you could give just a quick uh, a little bit of intro on Singularity for the people that are, are watching that may not be familiar with, you know, we've had a few, uh, you know, alums on and because that, if you explain that, then I think it'll, it'll help uh, the audience understand the backdrop of sort of how your deal flow could uh, and the ideas that you guys are are targeting. So, a hundred percent. We'll definitely look it up. It's it's hard to explain in a few minutes. But Singularity University, singularityu.org. Um, and for those who are not familiar, uh, it's essentially an organization 
that consists of about 70 experts in every technological area from uh, artificial intelligence to self-driving cars and synthetic biology and 3D printing and nanotechnology and you name it. They have an expert faculty member, generally a handful of them, um, that are either entrepreneurs in the space or professors or come from the corporate innovation or just an expert in some way to the point where they're able to um, provide us cutting edge information on deal flow and the ability to do due diligence on deals that a typical venture fund, you know, doesn't have the in-house capabilities for that. We, uh, as a small nimble team, are able to capitalize on this SU faculty resource. The next element of singularity is the faculty puts on different um, events, different length events for different audiences. Those events consist of things like executive programs, uh, which are week-long in Silicon Valley, to corporate programs, which happen um, twice a year for Fortune 500 corporations on their strategy. So um, the price tags of these events are generally high, and that's really to qualify the group of uh, entrepreneurs and, and people that go through these programs um, to really you know, 5,000 highly qualified people around the world is extremely valuable. Um, you know, we've been looking at an idea of doing kind of a online SU program to extend that kind of base by tens of thousands, but creating that really core group kind of organically has been really valuable to ensuring the deal flow that we get is extremely high quality and um, not making too much noise, right? So, it's really this established, qualified community of people that have gone through these programs, have this mindset, you know, um, are wanting to change the world after you leave one of these programs. They also have these events um, four or five times a year that you can check out. But the bottom line is a uh, group of experts talking about how technology is going to make the world a better place, essentially. Um, and, uh, and like I said, we get a lot of deal flow from people that have gone to these programs that are presenting at these programs, um, that are the faculty that are putting these programs on. Um, and Bull, uh, SU also has, um, SU is short for Singularity University, also has an accelerator and a, uh, an incubator, which provides maybe 40, 50 interesting deals a year to look at as well. So uh, that's the SU ecosystem. Peter is a co-founder of that ecosystem plus right. other nodes. Um, but I think that summarizes it pretty clearly. Yeah, so that's like a, basically it's the, the perfect, and it probably is the only partner, uh, given the uniqueness of SU, that could actually uh, provide that constant flow of, of, of deal flow. Um, In this uh, area, at least, yeah. Right. Um, so uh, when you, you mentioned they're a partner, like, I, I mean, obviously they're a partner with, uh, it makes sense. Do they also get involved in the actual... Uh, selection and investing or is it more of okay they have their platform they're providing this constant source of deal flow and you guys then come in and and you do your sort of uh, due diligence and then you cherry pick the investments off of that good questions so that's where i was getting at with we needed a management team um, i would say su and peter are the front of the funnel right uh, and they bring in everything having them as any part of the decision-making process um, automatically creates a bias toward them and limits our, the size of our, our, right. our nozzle essentially. Then it gets filtered through you know, a series of filters to our core management team that does the decision-making. And after that, we then repass it off kind of, it's a funnel like this. We repass it back off to the SU and Peter um, universe for business development opportunities. Mm -hmm. So uh, the simple answer is no. 
they don't get involved um, to a, a high degree because, um, you know, like I said, it creates bias. Also, if uh, they're involved with companies that are they're incubating or accelerating and they say no to a company, it automatically creates an, uh, an unneeded bias toward that company. Um, so they don't, but, uh, but we definitely lean on them for decision-making in terms of due diligence um, from the experts and, and things like that. Okay, so let's talk a little bit about exponential technology, which is you know, the area that you guys invest in. Um, it's, it's, uh, it's basically, when you think about the world, I mean, the way I see I, I always correlate it to like, okay, these guys are like the rocket scientists, the, the Tony Starks, like this type of uh, technology is, is what you guys are investing in. For uh, different types of VCs have different mandates, obviously. You know, when you think about companies like Y Combinator, they're very specific and they actually will come out and say, look, we only want to invest in the next billion dollar company and that's it. So if you're, if you're just a little company that wants to change this little part of the world, then you can go somewhere else and, and get funding for that. Um, you guys have a very specific mandate, uh, but how do you then, uh, because when you think about exponential technologies, it's huge. I mean, there's so many moonshot ideas that could potentially change the world. Um, you know, having, when you work yourself through the filter of SU and then when it gets down to your level, what are some simple, uh, you know, metrics that you use if you're allowed to, uh, to share a little bit with the audience? So we have a, a few factors. This Going back to what we said, the optimism versus pessimism is a big thing. We, uh, we love the concept of moonshots, but we invest in very few of them. Um, I think people get really excited about the idea of exponential technologies, and SU does a great job of, of predicting how um, they can affect the world over the next three, five, seven, ten years, but we are looking to make money a lot sooner than that for our investors. So a lot of people don't realize that exponential technology has been around for a long time. And, and let me just do a quick background on this and, and then I'll um, go to kind of how we uh, process all of these opportunities. Um, so exponential technology is really the concept that um, the world is changing at a rapid pace. Technology is changing every industry, right? Small teams of people cannot do what only governments and multinational corporations could once do. They don't realize that the three main components driving this um, is not just Moore's law. That's just one element of it. It's computing power, which is doubling every 18 months and getting cut in half in cost. But it's also the increased bandwidth and connectivity and the decreased storage costs. So um, there's a great graph out there that shows back in 2000, the average cost of a startup was $5 million. Then with the platforms being built around, um, you know, uh, servers and broadband, it you know, move down to uh, 500,000. And with AWS and with storage costs and, you know, computing power con con continuing to slide down, I think it got down to $50,000 by, by 2015 um, is when I think this graph came out. So the bottom line is these, these technologies I talk about, AI, robotics, 3D printing, even self-driving cars, they've been around for decades. People don't realize that. Um, but they've only been accessible to multi-hundred billion dollar corporations and governments um, to use. Now with these three components that I talk about, AI, robotics, self-driving cars, you know, they're, they're actually able to dramatically rewrite, rewrite what's in an entrepreneur's uh, tool bag. 
and that is what's creating this explosion of exponential technology that we're seeing from a distance. But it's actually really these three core components that are driving all these other changes. And it's actually the entrepreneurs and the corporations that are able to understand this is who we're investing in. It's not the technology. We're not really investing maybe 5% of the investments we're going to make are going to be in hardcore, real new technology, the moonshot quote unquote technology. Other than that, we're investing in the people that are making this happen. So going back to the psychology, you know, major that I did and that we talked about and, um, you know, the whole kind of thesis we, we kind of described in the beginning of this conversation, the way we look at all of this deal flow is in four categories. And it's funny, technology is actually at the bottom of this category. Mm-hmm. So going forward, number one is people that is by far and away the most important. Generally repeat teams are, are valuable for us really testing how a um, team is able to work together, attract talent, attract capital and manage the exponential technology curve that's happening but not trying to really be a major part of it. Um, so being adaptable, a lot of this technology is being commoditized every day. So why would we invest in you know, this technology that's, as if I'm an entrepreneur, why would we invest here when I know it's gonna be uh, here in a few years, it's gonna be way cheaper and way more accessible. Let's invest in the technology that surrounds what's already being developed. So right. people is so important, being able to read the market so important. Uh, number two is the market the size of the market, the need in the market, the value prop, that's pretty clear. Um, however, you have to throw in the, the concept of just disruption of industries, which is a difficult thing to analyze with not a decades and decades of data. Mm-hmm. So we do a lot of um, actual you know, market intelligence through our corporate partners at SU. Number three is financial risk. Being a somewhat small fund, we have to understand how we play in the evolution of the, the fundraising that's needed. Um, make sure it's a good deal, things like that. And then number four for us is technology. So we have to obviously before doing all this work, make sure that the tech works and is real and is needed. But we have to make sure all these other things are are in place first before we spend the time or potential money on kind of employing one of these faculty members from SU or another expert from our network to do the hardcore diligence into the technology because we look at that as um, not, technology is a uh, short-term uh, competitive advantage. It's not a long-term one. Interesting. Uh, well, thanks for breaking that down. Uh, it sounds like, uh, you know, it, it, it's important, I think, that, that you made the distinction that, look, we're, we're, we're a venture capital firm. We're here to make money. So th- there are strict rules that you need to abide by uh, for your shareholders, uh, for your LPs. Um, and first and foremost, of course, it, it is the money. It's nice to have uh, the crossover between, uh, you know, SU and the ex- exponential tech that you guys look at and the exciting opportunities that come along the way. But um, again, it's, I think it's important that uh, as a VC, uh, your, 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 your interests are aligned with your shareholders. So that said, um, I know that you guys just did a big trip uh, over to this part of the world. Um, and since we're excited to talk about in- opportunities in Asia, um, Maybe you could give us a little bit of a rundown about your recent trip uh, with Peter as well as, um, as, uh, as some of the other uh, team members there. What, what did you guys find in Asia? What excites you the most about your, uh, after you came over here? Yeah, so taken now three trips in the last six months, uh, two to China and one to Japan. Um, combination of groups of people that have come with me, including some of my investors in the fund um, that are uh, curious about China specifically, but, but had no way of 
understanding the the investment opportunity. So um, spent several weeks there now. Uh, I'm in no way an expert and still have so much to learn. But my general takeaway is we've been so excited and, and you can go to Peter's blog and, and read a lot more about the details of what we did, uh, who we met, what his thoughts are. Um, but for me, I'll kind of summarize uh, kind of my independent view, uh, breaking them down into, into three regions. So, so China is just obviously exciting for all the reasons that, that you can read in the newspaper, right? The market size is huge. The government's really ready to move on things, right? There's um, just tons of problems to be solved. All the typical things that you think are uh, exciting about China, we definitely lived. But the two most interesting and valuable things for me are, one is the work ethic, the 996 work ethic. And I think Peter does a big blog about this, but it was still what really sat with me. Working from 9 a.m. to 9 p.m. six days a week mm-hmm. is, is the norm. Um, that should scare Americans. That should scare the rest of the world. Um, <laughs> and that sort of work mentality is, is extremely encouraging for a uh, for a country that is not is is meeting a a couple different trends it's it's you know vying to become the world's biggest superpower uh and really kind of opening itself up after the last 20 30 years so there's that kind of national excitement there's the work ethic and there's these huge opportunities and, and the fact that the world is becoming more global so it's a great time to be looking at china um, in terms of investments in the companies there, I watched it. I met a VC whose company went from zero to 500 million in revenue in 18 months, which is just impossible in the U.S. Not impossible. Uh, knock on wood for rare. some of them, but <laughs> extremely rare. Um, and, and I think that has to do with the work ethic uh, of the teams. This, uh, the second interesting part about China is it's extremely hard to break in. You, you think that like, oh, I've got this perfect fit. I know the right people. I'm going to go in and just make my way in and, and culturalize it. And, and that's it. You really need this joint venture partner. You really need a, um, a clear established channel with branding and all that stuff already in China. And, you know, you're not going to be making the decisions in terms of deal. You know, what we learned in deals, it's a two third, one third split toward the local you know, the local JV partner. And that's really your only way to enter such a market, which is if that's how it works, that's great. And it makes things easier. Actually, if you want to think about it that way, you don't have to go establish all of this, but uh, at the same time, more difficult to find those relationships. So not only did I get excited about the opportunities, uh, bringing in opportunities, um, while difficult, as long as you have kind of a, a roadmap, how to do it was exciting. Um, we also were in Japan for a little bit, uh, just over a week. Um, I have ex- family experience has uh, has been in Japan before. My my aunt, my family um, uh, did some kind of exporting out of Japan in the sixties and seventies, um, and so kind of have been familiar with the market since they kind of opened up to the Western world. And so it's been exciting to to go try and figure it out myself. Um, I was shocked by the lack of a startup community. Um, I spent a lot of time with VCs over there, which there were not very many of, um, and the, the most innovative corporations. And, um, you know, there's the one major innovative corporation that you hear about every day and they're the ones kind of getting all of the attention over there. Um, and I think they want that, 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 that to change. I think the rest of the companies want that, uh, to change. And really, um, I think over the next, what will it be? 
two and a half years ish uh, in preparation for the 2020 Olympics. There's a really unique, again, confluence of trends happening um, that can really help put Japan. I mean, they're a great independent market, but make them more interesting um, kind of investment opportunity or investment area of focus over the next two, three years because of a number of these confluences. So um, breaking it down by those, those are my, my two biggest areas that I know about. And I spent a lot of time hearing about how Indonesia is the next big market, but mm. I don't know anything about it. So if you want to tell me, I would, I would love to know. <laughs> yeah. I mean, it's certainly, Indonesia is, is on a lot of people's radars, but I think that it, it's, uh, well, it's like kind of like your process. It, it kind of falls, uh, third or fourth place when people look at Asia in general. Um, a quick question on Asia or, you know, just the world, I guess. When you guys look at portfolio construction, are there any metrics, geographical constraints that you guys work with uh, when you're allocating capital? Yeah, so right now, Bold One um, is only North American based companies. Uh, we haven't decided for our second fund if, if we're going to keep that or not, but I think we've we've been really happy with the results, which is investing in companies that we could get on a plane with and be either in the same time zone. It's very difficult. That's another thing I learned working with, with my Asian investors is it's difficult when you don't have the same time zone, no matter what, you can get over that. Then number two is it's nice to be in person. Most of my companies are a quick hour away, two hours away maximum. Um, so feeling the, also all the innovation is here. And I think there's a lot of opportunity to bring things to Asia. So our thesis is if we can be close to the companies and really work close with them and build that core technology or company or disruptive piece of business model, whatever it is, they're not focusing on Asia. So if we can help create a way that doesn't um, really drastically uh, take them away from their current goals of building the U S market. And we can just add this additional layer of the Asian market, either China or Japan or Asia as a whole with our own partners. That's kind of the niche we're trying to build. Um, so yes, obviously we only invest in the North North America, but we're constantly looking at every investment on how would this play out in these other markets? That makes sense. Right. Yeah, absolutely. Um, well, Max, thanks so much for your time. It's been uh, really interesting hearing about the, the great work you guys are doing there at Bold. Um, and uh, we appreciate you coming on and, and being uh, pretty uh, open about uh, your process and what you look at. So uh, we appreciate that. Um, you know, last sort of couple questions. Is there any sort of exciting things you're working on? Uh, I mean, obviously, every day is exciting, it seems like for you. But particularly in the, in the next few months, coming months, and what's the best way that, you know, some of our audience members, if they want to connect or learn a little bit more about you guys, uh, what's the best way for them to do that? Great. So um, let's see. Most exciting things I'm working on, I think I mentioned a little bit of it. Um, uh, I actually wrote them down here for you. So most exciting, personalized and predictive healthcare, health and wellness, and autonomous electric transportation, and augmented reality uh, mm. with one of our port portfolio companies um, with the Apple... 10 phone having AR and Google and all that stuff. That's all exciting. The most needed areas, uh, trying to rethink security and insurance um, are the two areas that I'm, I'm are industries that I'm really uh, excited about, but haven't don't know a lot about yet. So um, if any of your audience members uh, wants to uh, reach out to show me how they're disrupting security and insurance and, and other areas that I've mentioned, um, 
frankly, I don't take a lot of uh, cold emails. Um, so try and find a connection. That's usually best with me. Right. Um, LinkedIn me. And if you have some serious inquiries um, besides just wanting to connect, um, you know, that, that might require a little bit of conversation. I'm going to direct them your way, Jay, if that's okay. Yeah, yeah, sure. Um, and if they're kind of, um, you know, if you're wanting to learn more than just, uh, just to say hi, um, do that on LinkedIn. And if there's more interest in, in other collaboration, uh, please, please forward your information to Jay. Sure. Um, so that would, uh, that would be great. Awesome. Yeah. I'll screen them for you. <laughs> yeah, no, I appreciate it. And you know, I like, like Jay asked, we only invest in North American based companies. So uh, I get a lot, I get multiple deals every day. A lot of them are from, uh, people around the world that I wish I could invest in. Um, I don't have a ton of time to make connections there. So if it's super compelling, send it in a LinkedIn, make it an interesting subject line and, uh, and maybe I'll get back to you. But thank you so awesome. much. Well, thanks, Max. Uh, once again, really appreciate your time and, uh, and your thoughts and your insights. Awesome. I appreciate it. All right. Take care. Take care. I hope you enjoyed today's episode. All the show notes and links can be found over at jkimshow.com. Come back often and don't forget to subscribe so you don't miss the next exciting episode of The Jay Kim Show. As always, I'd love to hear your questions, comments, or future guest suggestions. You can find me on Twitter at jkimmer. That's J-A-Y-K-I-M-M-E-R. See you in the next episode.